too awkward. I don't even know what I believe about it. I don't even know where I stand on the issue. I'm too scared to talk about it. I just don't want to go there. It's too painful. Jesus had the courage to talk about this stuff. Maybe we can too. Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and here we go. I hope you brought your seatbelt with you, because we're probably going to need it. My introduction to the political landscape of this country came in 2004, when John Kerry and George W. Bush were running for the office of president. And naively, I had taken over as the lead pastor here in two, the, earlier in 2003, and I went into that fall just an innocent, naive Canadian minding my own business. Canadians don't talk about politics. They talk about American politics, but they don't talk about their own politics. You don't put signs in the front of your yard. You mind your own business. And so when I showed up, I'm just an innocent, naive Canadian kid minding my own business, preaching the Bible, when I, my world hit politics head on. That fall, I remember a particular weekend, I preached on Jesus and grace. If you show up here a lot, you're going to find out I'm like a band with one song. I keep talking about the same stuff over and over again. Jesus and grace, Jesus and grace, Jesus and grace. And I preached that, and then I walked out into the comments, and a very agitated gentleman came walking up to me and said, I want you to know I will never be coming back to this church again because I can, I can smell John Kerry all over you. To which, to which I responded in a very spiritually mature way. I said, wow. Um, and I thought in my brain, that's actually really weird because I've never been in a room with John Kerry, so how his smell got transferred to me is just kind of freaky and I don't even want to go there. So I, I, I had that conversation. I walked, no word of a lie, 10 feet in a linear direction across our commons after the same message. And another man walked up to me very agitated and said, I need you to know this is the last time I'll be coming to this church because your support of George W. Bush and his policies makes me sick to my stomach. And again, I said, wow, wow, I am not in Manitoba anymore. And I want to go home really bad right now. I'm just scared to death. I'll be honest with you. Every four years, a sense of dread comes and settles into my pastor's stomach. Because every four years, people just seem to lose their mind and lose their faith when it comes to a decision that's a very important decision that's coming to us in November. And the reason that I get this pit in my stomach is not because I'm going to change anything I'm preaching, but because I know people that are going to be receiving it are hearing it through a lens that makes them very specific. I'm going to tell you something. For about the next five months or so, every time I say the word her, some of you are going to think about somebody right away. Even though I may be talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, if I say her, you're going to go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say the word him, and people are going to go, oh, yeah, 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 we got it. Yeah, thanks for talking in code, Grant. <laughs> people are going to read a political undertone into the message of Jesus even when it's not there. 
And I don't think I'm the only person that kind of approaches this season with dread. So in fact, why don't you just play along? Let's have a little game. Okay, it's fun because you get everybody just kind of relaxing just a little bit. Take a deep breath. Let's, let's do a little political poll right now, okay? How many of you, how many of you here, by show of hands, you dread the political season? You don't like the anger. You don't like the rhetoric. You don't like the TV commercials. You don't like anything. Oh, hands all over the place. Okay, there's a whole bunch of you. All right. How many of you, just be honest, just be honest, right? You're not losing any points on this. How many of you actually, you enjoy this time? You enjoy the debates, you enjoy the people, you enjoy the different conversations that are going on. That's great. Okay, there's some people here like that too, okay? Um, how many of you, how many of you kind of squirm at dinner when somebody just brings up the, the, the P word politics? It just kind of puts a knot in the bottom of your stomach. It's like, I don't want to talk about that right now. I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about that. How many of that? Okay, how many of you bring it up at dinner on purpose because you actually want to be, yeah, you're twisted. <laughs> You're twisted, all right? That's just crazy. Well, why, what, I mean, you, you just notice everybody's got a different opinion, right? We're all over the map when it comes to this. Everybody's got a different opinion about the taboo subject of politics. Some of you are wondering right now, has Grant lost his ever-loving Canadian mind by jumping into this at the very first part of this particular series? That's a good question. We're going to find out. Stick with me. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody seems to think that their opinion is the best opinion. In fact, some of you are here tonight. You cannot believe for the life of you. Like, it's just like, Grant, it's just so unbelievably clear. The decision is just so clear. I cannot understand how anybody else could arrive at any other opinion than the opinion that I particularly have. And I know this to be true because over the last week, I've had four different conversations with four friends from four different political ideologies. Each one of them wanted an endorsement of some kind for their particular stand. And here's what amazed me. Every single one of them quoted the Bible as a way of showing me that their position was the best position. I've got a friend who comes from the Republican side. And he made some unbelievable points. He said, Grant, you need to know this, right? Like Jesus converted a tax collector that was also known as a publican. I'm a, I'm a Republican. And, and on top of that, you, this is what you need to know, right? Jesus was always right. <laughs> as long as you just go right, it's right. <laughs> right? Right? I have another friend. He comes from the Democratic side. And he's like, Grant, it's so unbelievably obvious. I mean... Jesus is handing out free health care everywhere he goes. There's free health care given to everyone. And when he does the miracle, uh, you know, with all the food, it says, it says there's food left over. So just like it just makes absolute perfect sense. Is everybody offended? This is really good, right? Okay, so I have a friend who's a libertarian who quoted a famous verse in the Bible. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. free. But Jesus was the biggest purveyor of liberty and independent thinking. I mean, he was a rebel against the institution. I mean, it's just so unbelievably clear. I also have a friend from the Green Party who quoted the book of Genesis and said, God gave the world to mankind and we were supposed to subdue it and have dominion over top of it. I mean, how could we care about anything other than the stewardship of the earth? Did you notice I called all of them friends? Because they are. They're friends. It's going to freak some of you out, but believe it or not, sitting around you tonight are people who follow Jesus, who may fall in a different part of the political landscape than you fall in personally. And I know some of you are just like, are you serious? Really? Like, <laughs> in my section? 
Some of you are like, we screen and vet our section, Grant, just so you know. Like, no, 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 no. This all goes the same way. And I don't want you to freak out, but, but one of them could be sitting by you right now. As we enter into the next couple of months, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to seek God during this season, maybe in a different way than you've ever thought of before. In fact, I'd like to give you a challenge. The challenge is pretty simple. I'll put it in the form of a question. Can you put your faith above your politics? Can you put your faith above your politics? Now, you'll notice the challenge is not to put your faith alongside of your politics. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, and I don't assume that everybody here is a Christian or that follows Jesus. In fact, I'm just glad you're here, that you took a chance. <laughs> Boy, did you come on a fun weekend to figure this thing, whole thing out. Well, it's crazy, right? But if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, you need to know that Jesus never ever said you were allowed to do anything alongside of your relationship with Him. Your relationship with Jesus trumps everything. It's your lens. It's how you believe. Everything comes underneath of that relationship. Jesus said, you don't get to put anything ahead of our personal relationship. So the challenge is to look at everything, including your politics, through the lens of a biblical worldview. So it's like, what do you mean by that? It means this. It means you're going to look through the lens of Jesus to see the process and to see the policies and to see the people in the process that are making the policies exactly the same way that Jesus sees them, as people. Let me say that again. You're going to choose by putting your faith above your politics to see all of it through the lens that Jesus would look at if he was looking at exactly the same thing. If you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to a politically charged conversation that some religious political people were having with Jesus. It's in Matthew 22. It's also in Mark chapter 12. It's a parallel passage. And the Bible says this, later, they sent some of the Pharisees, those were religious folks, and Herodians, those were some political folks, to Jesus to catch him in his words, okay? And they came to him and they said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Here comes the question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Ooh, difficult question. Let's keep going. Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius, which was an old Roman coin. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought the coin and then he asked them these words. Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, because that's what was on a denarius. Whoever the sitting Caesar was had his face on all different kinds of coins. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now, don't miss this because it's so unbelievably important. I want you to take this passage at face value, okay? No pun intended. I want you to take it at face value because some people look at this and they say, well, this is actually an account about taxes. God's actually talking about taxes and you're supposed to separate out the two different kinds and keep, this is a commerce equation. This is how this is supposed to work. Here's the problem with that view. There is no separation in Jesus. If you ever find yourself saying, well, I have a business life and I have a social life and I have a family life and I have a spiritual life, you've missed the entire point of the New Testament. Because Jesus says, no, all of that is your spiritual life. 
And nothing gets to abide or live outside of that circle. Everything you do is sacred. There's no such thing as sacred and secular to somebody who's following Jesus. It's all sacred. Some people make this account about the word trap, and they're just like, oh, you know, Jesus picks up on the hypocrisy thing, and, 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 and he's kind of got, got the political people and the religious people, and, and it's, all about, it's all about the fact that these guys actually are committing a party foul, right? Because we know there's two things you're not supposed to talk about at a party, right? Religion and politics. Don't miss the point. This is the moral of a politically charged conversation. Jesus is asking this question of them, and he's asking it of us today in 2016, five months or so before we make a really big decision as a nation. He's asking this question, whose image do you bear? In a tense political season, it's filled with questions and judgments. Whose image do you bear? What's stamped on your heart? What, what inscription is placed below you? In a season when, when you may be tempted to abdicate because you just go, I, I don't even know if there's a viable option here. Whose image do you bear? Every time you turn on the TV and you see the rhetoric going up and people just shredding each other and it's so just easy to shift into that world and just become a critic, whose image do you bear? Let's get practical, okay? So if you were to accept the challenge to put your faith above your politics, what would that actually look like? What would it sound like? Let's press in together because I think the Bible's got a lot to say about this taboo subject. And maybe we should start there before we even start formulating opinions or checking boxes or carrying signs. Maybe we should come back to the most important document that we have. So I would say this, when I put my faith above my politics, I acknowledge this to be true. I acknowledge God is in control. That God's in control. You know, it's amazing to me. People say all the time, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is completely in charge of everything. But it's amazing to me how many people lose their belief in the sovereignty of God every four years. And they start thinking to themselves, this whole place is just blowing up and God's not here anymore and He's abandoned us and we've made bad decisions and it's just like all of a sudden God vacated the property. I want to be very bold to say this. And if you need to excuse me as a, as a Canadian who immigrated to this country after I say this, you just go ahead and do that. Just so we're clear, I had to pay for my citizenship. You guys just got yours, okay? I had to pay big money and pass a test. And some of you remember, I actually brought that test with me one weekend and most of you failed. But I want to be bold to say this, no matter who lives in the White House after November, God will still be presiding and residing in heaven. Can I get an amen? That's not going to change. It's not going to change. God is in charge. And believe it or not, God can use anyone or anything to accomplish His perfect will, even if His perfect will is to bring a rebellious group of people back to Himself. I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote these challenging words in the book of Romans. He said, let everyone, so nobody gets to take an exemption on this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority, underline that word and circle it, there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, underline that sentence. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, some of us just react right away and go, that's easy for Paul to say, you know, his government wasn't nearly as corrupt as ours is. 
Ours is at a whole other level. I just want to remind you of something historically. Paul's government at that time was the Roman Empire, and the leader of the Roman Empire was a guy by the name of Nero. We don't get to play that card. What does the Bible say? There's no authority except which God has established. And I want to remind you, God can use broken human systems to draw people back to Himself. And as somebody who's had the honor and privilege of traveling in the third world and other countries, I'll tell you something. Our system may be broken, but I still love it and so should you. Because it does mean freedom for us. And all you need to do, just come with me sometime to a place where you don't have a voice. And you might be a whole lot more thankful and a whole lot less critical. Just saying. God's in control, so don't worry. I mean, your Bible says don't be anxious about anything. Anything. Trust Him, I promise you. He will still be very much on His throne come the end of November. Let's keep going. When I put my faith above my politics, I refuse to relinquish influence or relationship for the sake of being right. You know, I, I'm going to use a story with permission. I asked a friend of mine if I could share it. Because over the last couple of weeks, he and I have been talking, and we've been talking about politics. It just keeps coming up over and over again. And he made a statement to me. He said, yeah, he goes, it's kind of sad. But he goes, I haven't spoken to my neighbor since 2000. I'm like, really, why? He goes, because in 2000, we had two different color signs in our front yards. And we drew a line, we drew a fence right down the, between the two because we had a lot of discussions back and forth and it just went really, really wrong. And I asked him a question. I said, so back in 2000, can, who was running? And he couldn't tell me for a long time. So I said, let me get this straight. So you and your neighbor, who the sovereign God in heaven put you beside to have a godly effect on, you haven't spoken over a decision that you can barely remember and the bitterness has lasted you 16 years? 16 years. I think I melted his brain because I said, you know what, bro? You need to go repent and ask your neighbor for forgiveness. And I got the typical Christian response. I would do that if he would just go first. Jesus always went first. He went first when it came to forgiving you. He went first when it came to forgiving me. He went first when it came to being sacrificed. He did it all first. He was washing feet, scrubbing between toes. He always went first. And if you are a follower of Christ, you're called to do exactly the same. Amen. You know, when you get stuck in being right and you choose being right over relationship, you're wrong. You're wrong. I mean, Jesus was perfect, and he reached out to, to a sinner like me, and how did, he rebuild, how did he rebuild the friendship? He did it with relationship. Even though he's perfectly truthful, he's also gracious. It's like, that's not, that's not worth fighting over. You can't even remember what the disagreement was about. What does the Bible say about bridging that? First Peter chapter 2, dear friends, I urge you. As foreigners and exiles, okay, so it's just so we understand this, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to know something. You're a foreigner and an exile according to Scripture because this is not your home. You don't belong here. 
Which makes me wonder, why are, you so, why are you so absolutely convinced about this kingdom when your focus should be on that kingdom? Because that's the one that's going to last for eternity. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, even the desire to be right. Live such good lives among the pagans, people that don't believe the same thing that you do, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. You know, we read that section and we go, yes, that's good Bible, Grant, and we never finish the context. Do you know what the rest of that chapter says? It continues. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as to supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Let me ask you the question. When it comes to being right, whose image do you bear? Is it just about being right to you? Is that the inscription you want stamped underneath of your soul? But I'm right. Is being right more important to you than people? Then don't ever sacrifice influence for the sake of just being right. I mean, if being right is more important to you than people, Jesus had something to say about that too. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So there it is right there. That's my message in a nutshell. You're supposed to put your faith above everything, including your politics. And then the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't like that verse. I don't like that verse. I mean, don't you wish Jesus said, you only need to love your neighbor as much as he loves you? Because that would be even. You only need to treat him as good as he treats you. So if he, if he like runs across the corner of your flower bed with his truck, you should be able to run your car right through the middle of his linden lawn, right? You know? <laughs> Don't you wish Jesus made it easier? But he doesn't, doesn't he? He says, no, you need to love your neighbor not as much as he loves you. You need to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So i got a question. Do you respect your own opinion? I would say you probably do. That's what Jesus expects you of someone that you don't disagree with. Do you give yourself grace when you get it wrong? Jesus expects exactly the same. And you're supposed to go first. Let's keep going. When I put my faith above my politics, I will follow the wisdom of godly interactions. I love the fact that we're building this series on the shoulders and the foundation of everything we learned in the book of Proverbs. Some of you have been doing the Proverbs Challenge. You're continuing to do the Proverbs Challenge. That's fantastic. I quoted these wise sayings multiple times, and I'm going to keep on stating them over and over and over again because contrary to public opinion, God does not revoke the nice rule every four years. It doesn't go away. There's no exemption clause. What, you know, you're supposed to have the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of your life Unless, of course, it's an election year and then you don't have to worry about gentleness or patience or kindness or goodness or love. Now, you, you don't need to worry about that stuff. I can't find that in my Bible anywhere. Remember th- this the next time you're tempted to let loose on somebody just because you don't share their view. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How about this one? You heard me say it multiple times in the last series. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. When are we going to learn 
that you get so much further with conversation than you do with condemnation. I want to plead with you, don't lose politics as a seedbed for anger and sin. In fact, if your passion for politics is not eclipsed by your passion for Jesus, I'm going to say it, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. Let's keep going. When I put my faith above my politics, it used to be a learner and not just a critic. I think we could agree on this. Being a critic, that's easy, especially today, right? It's just so easy to sit behind your keyboard where nobody can get you and just cut and paste angry rhetoric and splash it all over your Facebook page. It's just so easy to do that. You know what's hard? What's hard is actually sitting and having an intelligent dialogue about a taboo topic. That's hard. But what have so many of us defaulted for? We take the keyboard. And we sin. We sin. It's hard to push away apathy and engage. It's easier to be a part of the problem than it is to be a part of the solution. And yet God keeps calling us to understand this. In our world today, we don't need a political solution. We need a spiritual one. We need a spiritual one. Jesus in the cross, that's the only answer. To pin that on one human being, are you kidding me? It's easier to be arrogant and to be right than it is to be humble. And yet, the Bible keeps saying this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, let the wise listen. So if you're already wise, it's saying, let the wise listen and add to their learning. So apparently, we still got things to learn. And let the discerning get guidance. Those are good words, right? Listen and add to their learning. This blows me away. Jesus knew everything, and yet he was always asking questions. Has anybody else ever wondered why? What is he doing that for? I mean, he already knows all the answers. He knows all the people. He knows all the players. He knows the Pharisees and the Herodians. He knew where the denarius was going to come from, and yet he's still asking unbelievable prompting questions. This is a great time of year to practice the listening and learning principles of Scripture. Now, I'm telling you, you don't have to agree with everything you hear. But God says there's something about listening and learning. It's good for all of us. So, I don't know about you, but I got a couple of questions that I just keep around with me, right? Because I get, I get put in the position a lot, especially during the, I'm always going, hey, Grant, hey, Grant, who are you going to vote for? Hey, Grant, you know, what, what, do you, what policies are you supporting? Hey, Grant, when are you going to tell us who to vote for? We'll talk about that in a second, all right? Like, crazy. But I've got some questions that I use whenever I get into it, because this is what I've learned. When I am brought into an... Whenever I have an opportunity to share about Jesus and His love for people, whether it's a political conversation or a social conversation or, 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 or a secular conversation, every time I get to bring Jesus into the middle of it, it goes really well. And people are just like, but Grant, sometimes people disagree with you. They think you're like a, like a Bible-thumping Jesus freak. Yeah, I know. I don't have a problem with that title. Whose image do you bear? So here's some great questions, okay? Especially when you're talking to people who don't agree with you. Number one, how did you, how did you get to your position or how did you arrive at your position? Right? I mean, what influenced you to believe in that position? You know, I've learned something. When somebody tells me how they arrived at a certain position, they usually share along with it a little bit of their story. And I found something, this just amazes me. The more I hear of somebody's story, the more difficult it is for me to dislike them. Because I got a story too. 
And that's the way we actually engage in meaningful dialogue. Here's another one. Have you always seen it that way? Have you seen it that way? Or is this just a work in progress? Are you still formulating your ideas? Because if you're still formulating your ideas, hey, would you mind? I'd like to submit some things that that I think about. Because I'm a part of a process too. Have you always seen it that way? Is this a work in progress? And if so, can we have a dialogue about it? You know, now I use this next one with Christians a lot because here's what's interesting to me. It's like we think the rules of slander and gossip go out the window just because the person is a public figure. Have you noticed that? I mean, we think somehow political candidates are exempt from the gossip rules which Jesus gave us to govern our mouths so we don't participate in the slanderous rule of sin. So here's the bottom line, which is this. The last time I checked my Bible, it's gossip if you're speaking ill about somebody and they're not in the room. Agreed? That's what the definition of gossip is, right? I'm slandering, I'm saying something bad about somebody, and they're not here to defend themselves. That's gossip, and there's another word for it in Scripture. It starts with an S, it finishes with an N, and it has a very prominent I right in the middle of it because I find myself doing it a lot. It's sin, friend. And people go, well, that doesn't, it doesn't count, Grant, because they're, they're a public figure. No, they are the private property of God Himself. Whether or not they're living like it or not, they belong to Him. And Scripture says, don't let any reckless words or let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth unless it's there for the building up of others. So whenever I hear people just kind of talking about someone... I like to ask this question. Oh, so you know them? Well, no. Oh. Sounds like you know them. Because you're making a pretty broad commentary about the condition of their soul. I would expect in order to have that information, you'd actually would have had to sit down and talk with them so you could be accurate in your assessment. So, so you don't know them? No. To my brothers and sisters in the room, I want to remind you whether they're running for public office or not, Jesus died for them. Which means they have intrinsic value to God. And if they matter to Him, they should matter to us because they're a person, even if you don't agree with anything they say or do. Here's the last one. Here's another question. Hey, where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that from? You know, I, this always shocks me, but I'm going to say it anyway. You do know that Google's not God, right? <laughs> right? Well, I Googled it. Okay, I, I get that you Googled it, but the, what that means is then you're also relying on somebody else's information, and they're looking at their information through a particular lens and through a particular viewpoint. And so I think what we can all agree on is that none of us in this room is omniscient like God is and knows everything about somebody. True? Amen. But sometimes we sure act like we do, don't we? Well, did you hear what that person said? Where'd you get that from? Where did it come from? You know, none of us knows everything, which actually during this season makes me just, it makes Jesus so unbelievably appealing because he actually does. Let's keep going. I put my faith above my politics when I commit to knowing God's platform more than man's platform. 
I mean, I, I, went on, I went on the internet last week and I googled the platform of every major political party that's running in this next season. I mean, I can inform myself of their position. Here's the question. Do you know God's position? Whose image do you bear? Do you spend more time researching the political position that was made by a group of people or do you spend more time, honestly and openly, do you spend more time looking at what God has to say about very, very difficult, sometimes even taboo issues? I mean, do you know firsthand from God's Word to your heart where God's stance? And not just an individual verse here and an individual verse here. Do you, have you taken the time to familiarize yourself with the whole counsel of God? You're just like, Grant, that's a big book. It sure is. It sure is. And yet the heart of God comes out over and over and over again. And when you're thinking to yourself, well, that's all right, though, because I think just like God does. I'm going to remind you of Isaiah 55, God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What's that mean? It means, Grant, it means God sees it different than Grant does. God sees it better than Grant does. God sees it more thoroughly than Grant does. God sees it through a greater lens of love than Grant ever could. So I want to challenge you to spend time in God's Word before you start checking boxes and holding signs. I want to encourage you to go back to the official platform of Scripture and see what Jesus has to say. Because when you read the Word, you may be surprised that Jesus doesn't fit into the box that maybe you've got Him in right now. You know, people ask me that question all the time, Grant, when are you going to tell us who to vote for? And I just laugh. I said, you know what? I'm not going to give you the easy or the lazy way out. You're better than that. You need to seek God's Word, sift through, and find out how you're going to reconcile your personal belief with what Jesus says. And I'm going to warn you on the front end. Jesus will not fit easily inside of the box that we all have Him. In fact, when you're trying to figure out Jesus, Tim Keller said it so unbelievably eloquently. I love this. He goes, here's the conundrum of Jesus. In terms of justice, Jesus was more conservative than the greatest conservative. And in terms of grace, Jesus was more liberal than the greatest liberal. Isn't that good? And somewhere in the middle there, somewhere in there, that's where God wants to us to have an honest conversation about a very important decision. And while we're making that decision, asking us, I haven't changed any of the rules. Are you going to put your faith above your politics or not? So in conclusion, okay, ready to wrap up. Should you have an opinion politically? Absolutely. Please do. Should you be involved in the process? Yeah, I think you should. Because I've been in places where they don't have an opportunity to be involved in the process. And you know what they want more than anything? They want what you have. Should you be involved in the process? Yes. Why? Why should I be involved in the process? Because I know I get this tension a lot right now. It's like, well, what if I don't feel like I have an option biblically? That's something we're all going to have to struggle with. To struggle with it all the time, right? But why should I be involved in the process? And I would put it this way, because as citizens of a greater kingdom, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus encourages or promotes apathy, which is just throwing up your hands in frustration, or abdication, which means you choose to do nothing. I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. 
Should you sacrifice influence or relationship for the sake of a political opinion that honestly in eternity is probably not going to matter very much? I would say never, never. So if you need the official word on whether or not Grant's ever going to tell you who to vote for, I would say this. I'm, I am so thankful for the leadership of this church, the elders, the deacons, the deaconesses, the pastors. I mean, I just love the fact. They have, we actually have something here at Christ the King called an executive limitation. And the executive limitation is simple and very straightforward. It means this. As the teaching pastor of this church, I never get to politicize this platform. And I'm thankful for that. You know why? Because the leadership of this church, in their wisdom, believes that more important than politics is the unity of this body. It's more important because this is eternal. This bond, this is eternal. All that other stuff, it's not. Jesus prayed for us. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I was so thankful. We do this little communicators class on Monday morning and I was coaching all of the campus pastors because they're all talking about this this weekend, right? This is heavy stuff. And Brian Steele, one of our pastors, he spoke up and he brought this great idea that's got spinning in my head. Why is the unity of, of the body so unbelievably important and why does it matter so much to all of us? Well, I'm going to tell you this. Jesus had a little church and in its membership were some blue-collar fishermen, one who had a penchant for talking too much, okay, a reformed tax collector, a doctor, a political zealot who enjoyed sticking Romans with a pocket knife, a skeptic, and the list went on and on and on and on and on. I mean, if you were going to pick a group of people to turn the world upside down, I don't know if you'd pick that group. You know why? Because they didn't like each other. They came from various backgrounds, various political ideologies, and I can prove that to you. The fishermen would have hated that tax collector because he took, he skimmed stuff right off the top from them. The zealot would have hated everybody because he was just that kind of a person. And the tax collector would have hated the zealot because they were mortal enemies. I mean, this little group of people, we're only talking about five of the 12, they would have not been able to stand each other. They were politically and spiritually on opposite ends of the spectrum. And yet that all dissolved because they agreed on one thing. Who should be in the middle of all of the conversations? Whose image do you bear? Why is there a cross in the center of our church? What made all that other stuff not nearly as important? Jesus in the center. And this is my pledge to you. The day Jesus is no longer in the center of this church, then you can drag my dead twitching corpse off of this platform because he is the only thing, the only one worthy of gathering around. Amen? So we keep him in the middle. So we keep this about Jesus because without him at the center, we're lost. And Jesus kept saying something to us over and over and over again. Love one another. Yeah, but they got a different sign. Love one another. Yeah, but they feel this way about love one another. Why? Because that's how the world knows we love him. I can't think of anything political that would be worth letting go of that. So we're going to do something crazy here. Okay, time's up. Time's up. They changed the clock on me. Okay, oh, we've got to be done. All right, could you do me a favor? Could everybody stand for a second? I always like it when we, uh, 
when we practice what we preach? And I know this is going to freak some of you out because it's like, no, you got to do things out of order. Like, Grant, now you need to say we're going to give back to God our tithes and our offerings and return to God, blah, 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 blah. And then the usher's going to start in the back with the way to his friend. Then we sing one final song. And I'm looking at my watch because I want to get out of here as quickly as I can. Like, you got to do the normal thing. I'm like, we're not going to do the normal thing tonight. Remember I told you earlier that there were people around you tonight that may not agree with you politically or ideologically? I know it's kind of, kind of freaky, right? Whose image do you bear? So I'm going to ask you to do something as we're leaving tonight. We're going to celebrate the bond of unity that holds us together even if we share different political views. I'm going to ask you in a moment, shake the hand of all the people around you. And I don't want you to ask them any question about politics at all. Because if you still want to ask that question now, after everything we've talked about, maybe you should go back and come back tomorrow morning and I'll do it again for you. But instead, I want you to cross the aisle and just say hi. I want you to be thankful that Jesus gave us all an invitation to come to church tonight and we all showed up here together. And I think that's worth celebrating because I believe the unity of this body can take on a taboo taboo topic, even like politics. So God bless you. Shake hands and Be nice. Have a good night.